Well, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for watching online or watching on demand and, of course, listening to our podcast. I, I want to say thank you to those who are watching, yes, all, out, all around Northern Virginia, but also Canada. Yes, our northern neighbors. Thank you for watching up there. And then also we have some people watching in Alaska. We want to say thank you for watching. Uh, we know that your time is valuable. So taking any time to listen to this message uh, means a lot to us. And so we want to make sure we honor that time. We're going to jump right in. There's plenty we're going to be covering today, but we're in the middle of a series called No Place Like Home, and we're looking into a letter that Peter wrote that circulated a few local churches, and this is sort of the big idea of this entire series. The letter that he wrote was written to encourage followers of Jesus that hope in our true home, heaven, the new earth, the new heavens, empowers us to live Jesus-centered lives in our temporary home. So this life here and now. And so if I was a betting man, if I did the whole, you know, Fox sports bet, if I did all of that, uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet that all of us have heard about adoption. There are different types of adoption. There's infant, there's foster care, special needs, and there's also international. Now each has its own similarities. Um, the fact is that it took a decision to pursue a child. There's a cost from the adoptive parent that they're willing to pay and have paid. And there's a commitment to provide for the child. The overall similarity between the different types is that it's giving children, it's giving a child, it's giving children a place to call home. Now, Peter, what he does is he helps us understand that our adoption brings us into God's family. It brings you, brings me into God's family. There's a decision, don't miss this, that God made to pursue you. The second thing is there's a cost that God paid to rescue you from the punishment of our sin. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, it was the great exchange. It was Jesus for our sin. And then there's a commitment that God has made to provide for us forever, which includes a place to call home. Our church, Southridge, is made up of other adopted sons and daughters of God of different ages and stages of life, of different hues and dif different views. Peter provides some insight on why and how we're called to treat each other. So let's jump in. Let's look at the first one. When growing in our relationship with Jesus, we're peacemakers within our church. I'll say that again in case you're taking notes. We're growing in our relationship with Jesus. We're peacemakers within our church. So a good question is, okay, what does it look like to grow in our relationship with Jesus? Well, Peter gives us some handles. He says, so, get rid of all evil behavior. The phrase get rid is throw away. It's, then he says, be done. Be done means put it to death. So a couple weeks ago, we had two copperheads down on the path where uh, the kids walk and where Jenny takes the kids on a trail. And I'm like... I got to do something about this. So I got a gun and I did what any dad would do to protect his girls. I took care. I took those copperheads out. And then just to be safe, I cut off their heads. I made sure that I threw them away and I put them to death because I didn't want anything dangerous to happen to my daughter, to my wife, to our, our kids. I didn't want anything to happen to them. Same thing needs to apply here. Peter's pretty clear. He's like, I want you to throw away. I want you to put to death deceit, 
hypocrisy, jealousy, and all kind of speech. Look, if you're anything like me, you deal with those things. And all of those things, they're relational sins. They impact people. They can damage relationships, whether temporarily or permanently. These sins can destroy a church. If you've been around any time as a Christian, if you've been in different churches, I'm sure you've seen this happen. And look, these things happen when you and I were discontent, when we're not satisfied. Like when you think about it, when, when are you most jealous? When you're not satisfied, when you're discontent. So he continues to help us understand what does it look like to grow. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. He says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. What Peter's doing, he's painting a picture of babies craving milk. If you've been around babies any time, you know that a healthy baby is a hungry baby. The spiritual milk that Peter is trying to, to picture and give us a good analogy of is God's word. Think of, think of milk as the thing that's going to help us get better, help us get rid of these things. Because here's the fact. None of these things will satisfy you. Nothing in this world will satisfy you like God's word. It, it just won't. That, that milk, it satisfies. So it's really important that we have to understand, okay, what are we hungry for? For some of us, we're just going to fall back into the things of this world. I don't want you to miss this. If I'm filled, if you and I, if we're filled with the substitutes of this world, you and I will never be hungry for the substance of God's word. We'll miss out on that. We're going to be so filled up with things that weren't, aren't intended to fill us up, but yet we're going to miss out on God's word. I, I don't want us to miss this too, because especially when it comes to church, how we treat God's kids is a reflection on how we view God. Our relationship with him is as much horizontal as it is vertical. Notice the word kindness. He says once you had a taste of the Lord's kindness, it really means grace. Like when we're growing, we're going to be peacemakers in our church. So the word produces the opposite of deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. What it does is it produces in you and me love, joy, peace. Wow, there it is, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's the second thing. Whether or not we agree with each other on secondary issues, we belong to each other. Whether or not we agree with each other, we belong to each other. So Peter continues, he says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God with, for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Now we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Through the, for the, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Jesus promised to build his church. He promised to build his church. He had a conversation with Peter and the disciples, and he's like, look, I'm promised. I'm going to build this church. And they had sort of really no idea what he was talking about until after the resurrection. Fact is that you and I, we are living stones in his building. Each, each time someone becomes a follower of Jesus, they are formed into a living stone. Look, we may drive around and we may see little C churches close, but the big C church 
will never close because Jesus is alive and Jesus made a promise that he's building his church. So that means that the big C church will always be around because Jesus is alive. I don't want you guys to miss this. We belong to each other because we belong to Christ. We belong to each other because we belong to Christ. Our differences shouldn't destroy our unity in Christ. Look, I know some of you are cat people. And I love you. I do. And you know what? That, that's cool. You, you do you, right? I know for some of us, you may not vote for the person that I vote for. But that should not destroy our unity in Christ. Look, is this true for our church? But it's also true for the big C church. When it comes to any secondary issue, when it comes to anything outside the gospel, you and I could be friends. We ought to be. Nothing should destroy our unity in Christ. But the moment another church decides to walk away from Jesus, walk away from the gospel, man, we're going to sort of distance ourselves as a church from them. I think for some of us, we are trying to find belonging everywhere else but the church. Some of you who are Christians, you are trying to find belonging in other places other than the church. When Peter is writing this, all they had were each other. All Christians had were each other. They were persecuted by their government, and family members would disown them. All they had was each other. And guys, I think for some of us, some, some of us, we are trying to find belonging in all the places, teams, clubs, groups. The church is so important. Because that is where we grow the most. So my encouragement would be, don't forsake the church. Peter continues, he says, As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Peter actually goes back into history, and he's going through some prophecies about this future king called the Messiah. The word rejected is really important because it refers to the act of putting someone to the test for approval. And that person didn't meet the requirements. Jesus was put to the test. The religious leaders had an expectation of who the Messiah would be. They were expecting a political savior, one who would rule as a king with a sword to protect in one hand and bread in the other hand to provide. They were looking for a political savior. And, and look, for some of you here that are listening, that are watching, you are hoping that Joe Biden wins. Others are hoping that Donald Trump gets reelected again. Listen, one can't tell the truth and one can't stop talking about himself. None of that is like Jesus. Jesus is our true king. I don't want us to lose sight that we're putting our hope in, like I told this last week, in a political party or a political candidate. None of these guys exemplify Christ. In the Old Testament, I think for some of us, we think, well, if we just elect the certain candidate that America would be great again. 
Here's, here's my concern with that. In the Old Testament, Israel would fall as a nation on the actions of a few. Um, if a king was evil, the nation would suffer. If a king was good, the nation would benefit. In the same case, the religious leaders in Jesus' time made some decisions that impacted the fate of many. I think for some of us, we think if we just get the right Christian president in that America would be blessed by God. America, please understand this, is different than the church. Please understand that. The church is what Jesus died for. Now, I'm going to talk about this next week. I'm proud to be an American. I love America. And if you've ever traveled the planet, if you've ever traveled the world, you would agree with me this is the greatest nation at this time. It is a great nation. So thankful for how we were founded. I'm going to talk about more about that next week. But if, if you think this is a terrible country, you have not traveled. People are begging to get into this country because of the freedoms that we stand for. So I'll talk more about that next week. But guys, I don't want you to miss this. The church today to the world is what Israel was to be. The church today is to the world what Israel was to be. Israel missed it. It doesn't mean that God's done with Israel. But what it means is the church has a unique opportunity to bridge the gap between Jews and Gentiles. And this is our moment. Peter continues. He says, but you are not like that. (laughs) He's talking to us, the church. He says, you are a chosen people. A friendly reminder that God chose you. He didn't choose him. He chose you. He pursued you. You are royal priest, which was very, this was an unprecedented move by God. Israel had no king that would serve as a priest. They had a priesthood, and people were born into that priesthood. But now God's people are not just royal, but you also are a priest. What was life as a priest? There was spiritual influence, and then you maintain separation. This is hard today. If we're supposed to be these royal priests, guys, culture is tough. Culture is loud, and culture is inclusive. I understand you might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. culture, they, they say that they're exclusive. They're not. I don't know if you've tracked what's been going on with Chris Pratt, but, I mean, poor guy is being lamblasted on social media because of his stance as a follower of Jesus. I mean, come on. Our culture is inclusive. If we are growing in our faith, we are winning with God, even though we might be losing with culture. We can't approach life with the fear of being canceled in our culture. I want you to know Jesus was canceled. Hopefully this gives some perspective with rioting. Jesus died from the result of a riot. And then the phrase, holy nation, God's very own possession. A a nation has a few qualities, right? You have citizenship. Well, we're citizens of heaven and then eventually the new earth and the new heavens. We have a king, and that king is Jesus. We have laws, Jesus' commands. Love as I have loved you. Borders, yes, there are borders, and that's the entire world. Peter continues, he says, look, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. He's reminding them that Jesus is bringing both Jews and Gentiles to himself. 
the church was started by Jesus and is being built by Jesus. The church in Israel, two distinct things. Doesn't mean that God's done with Israel. Doesn't mean the church has replaced Israel. It means the church has a unique opportunity in this moment to make, diff- make a difference. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly. Keep that in mind. Live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The phrase live properly, it means honesty. It means being real it's important that we are real about our struggle. Like one of the compliments we get as a church is that we are pretty open and honest about who we are, about our struggle as human beings, but we are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day to live. For some of us, we have dealt with depression. For others of us, we have dealt with anger. For some of us, we have walked away from our spouse. For others of us, we have said some really hurtful things to our parents. And we know that in those moments, We've sinned, man. We, we've crossed the line. But we reach out for God's forgiveness and we ask God to give us strength each and every day to live in his power. Listen, if we're not real, we'll lose our appeal. If we're not real, we'll lose our appeal. I mean, it's so important that we live honestly among our neighbors who have yet to believe that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. You are a walking advertisement. Whether you want to be or not, you are to some people. So let's be real. Let's be real. Hopefully I'm able to encourage you in this. I think for some of us, we are going through just a rough time right now. I want you to know that God adopted you because he loves you. For others of us, We've gotten a little, maybe a little, a little too arrogant. And hopefully this is a reminder that God chose you not because you're awesome. He chose you because you were powerless. It's so important that we are reminded that God adopted us into his family. He was willing to pursue you. He was willing to pay the cost to rescue you. And he has made a commitment to always be there for you and with you. I mean, what's better than that? Listen, we have a unique opportunity to live as the church in this moment. We have been given this time by God. It hasn't been perfect, but he's called us to live here and now. So let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the unique ability to be able to read a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago and that it's still relatable today. And that just shows you that your word is so relatable, that it it transcends time, quite honestly, because the things that they dealt with 2,000 years ago, we can still relate to some of that. For some of us, when we made a decision to follow Jesus, culture did not like that, and maybe our family did not like that. And so we took a stand for Jesus. Others of us, this was a good reminder that we need to be real so that we don't lose our appeal. And then for others of us, this is really good to know just how important the church is. The church is what Jesus died for. Help us to, to remember that. That a hundred years from now, the church is still going to be around. That club, that team, most likely won't be. So remind us 
how important it is to dive in and be connected and be engaged in the local church. In Jesus' name, amen.